This is the Warm Springs program on KWSO. The 30th anniversary of the museum at Warm Springs included a special presentation about the design and building of the museum, featuring architect Donald Statsny, the museum architect, and Anne Marshall, a professor of architecture and American Indian studies at the University of Idaho. I was interested in learning about the processes of designing a tribal museum. And I had seen publications about this museum, but also I'd driven by and I and I drove by and I said, there's something special going on there. And then I started to put it all together like, oh, that's the museum that I, I've driven by it. And I see this in a magazine because it was published and it received AIA award. And so I'd found out about it and then I came here and I talked to the executive director at the time, Carol Leone, and I contacted Don Stastny, uh, who obviously was the architect, and, and said, I'm interested in doing this project. I was asking questions. What was significant was, this is a museum. When I drove around and I visited here about five or 10 times before I decided this is the museum that I'm going to focus on, and I did that because of sort of a gut feeling and when I came here and saw tribal members here in the museum, kids playing on the rocks, everything about it was giving me a positive feeling. Not only is the building beautiful, but it's a place that people loved. They clearly loved it. And so that's, it, it spoke to me that way. And I was wondering if you are designing a tribal museum, what's important, it's supposed to represent the community, but you've got designers who are from outside of the community. So how does a designer who's totally unrelated to the community get together and interact with uh, the members of the community to design something that represents um, the confederated tribes of Warm Springs? So that was my initial question, and so I decided uh, I needed to talk to people. I needed to talk um, to people in the community and uh, to designers. And so I decided to do a series of interviews, and I did 26 interviews, and the ones with people in the community were in the conference room here. That's where I, I did those interviews. And I was just really blown away and really impressed by all of the things that people did. I was, I was initially impressed by the architecture, but the more I found out, all of the layers of, oh my gosh, this all started in 1955. It's truly amazing. And in a community that's not exactly rolling in money, um, the idea of dedicating the money, uh, the referendum for two and a half million dollars, which is huge, huge now, but it was even huger then, the support that the community has shown was really impressive. Well, I remember walking around and, you know, walking around outside. It was a feeling of warmth. And I came in here and I saw guys were just kind of hanging out, sitting in the benches here in the lobby where we are right now, kids climbing on the rocks. And when I, everyone who I met, it seemed that there was, there was a warmth in the building and the people. The museum at Warm Springs used natural materials. I think the materials are really key. So 
the basalt, the wood, the other stones that are here, the representation of water in the floor by slate, and then the water feature outside, that's all key. The relation to the landscape is really important. I love all of the basalt that is around here. That's from here. It's right from right here. History and culture for future knowledge. This is the place that young adults can they can learn about something about who their ancestors were, what their ancestors did, but also about the culture is alive and well. It's not just what happened in the past. This place is a, it's a living place. It's a living place. It's not just about the past. It's up till the present. And the cultural things like language, making a, a baskets, dip net, whatever, those kinds of activities are still carried on here and there opportunities if people don't have skills to make those things to do workshops and learn about that here. Say if I had um, young relatives I would want to send them here to learn to learn to learn about their community, learn about their roots, learn about their family uh, and what people have done in the past, um, where they came from because I think it's really important for one's identity to understand um, who your your elders, your ancestors were and how you came to be. I'm really interested in indigenous architecture and I have had a desire Ever since I started teaching, I saw the way architectural history was taught, and it was mostly European architecture or European-American architecture. And I said, number one, what about the rest of the world? What about indigenous architecture here? Why is this not part of the story? And so that's something that I have aimed to do in my teaching. I taught a course on indigenous architecture and in teaching history. All of the students were required to take my course and they got some indigenous architecture, whether they wanted or not. Two weeks ago, I actually started a, a research group in indigenous architecture. I've been working on it for two years and now we're finally up and running. And so I'm working with, including my partner in Boise, is a an indigenous architectural historian, which is a very rare person. And then I have uh, also on board our five indigenous architects, including John Paul Jones, who is involved in the National Museum of the American Indian, and some other really important people. So I'm very excited about that. So I'm sort of initiator and in pushing for that. I, I feel that it's very important, and, and when I've heard from young indigenous architecture students or young indigenous architects, they say, well, when we're taught, we're not taught about our own architecture, and that's problematic. And the other thing is, my, my other students who are not indigenous, they're going to be designing for people from different communities, people who are not like them, and they need to learn and they need to have an understanding. And I actually did some projects in my design studios. I worked with the head indigenous leader on the campus at University of Idaho to do conceptual design for an indigenous center for students on the University of Idaho campus. And so my students worked on that, those designs 
and we had indigenous architects, John Paul Jones and Daniel Glenn, who actually served as reviewers and helped guide that process. The research group, we've just started, so I have a lot of work to do. I have a whole lot of work to do, and I need to do it before I get, you know, I'm not exactly a spring chicken anymore. So I've got I've to move forward and be productive in the years that I have left. I've been an architect. Um, actually, when I was 15, I decided I wanted to be an architect, and I practiced architecture, um, and I did that for about 10 years, and then I, um, I decided I wanted to be a professor. I went to graduate school in Berkeley. I, I started uh, teaching in Illinois. I was there for five years. Then I, I taught in, um, I've taught in Idaho starting in 1996. And 96 is when I, I um, married my husband, Bruce, who's here tonight with me. He's been my support network. I never could have done the dissertation without Bruce. He's been phenomenal. Um, I, my family, my mom's family is uh, from Louisiana. My dad's family uh, is from Texas. And I have to say, I'm, most of my ancestors are from Northern Europe. There's a little bit of indigenous heritage um, from Virginia. Um, my ancestors actually came to Virginia very early in 1607. On both sides, they came into Virginia and then went to uh, Louisiana and, and Texas. And so I have kind of a bit of Southern background in me. Um, and I love the food there from there. But I love the Northwest as well. So I'm uh, who I am today. I, I actually love the Northwest. I love the land. I love being out and walking or riding my bike and seeing the land and meeting people and uh, interacting with students, even though I, I just retired. Uh, but yesterday I got a, an email from a former student of mine, one of my very first students who was coming to Moscow for a job, and he said, can I see you? And I said, yes, and I had coffee. So. I mean, I, I love interacting with people, and I love meeting people like you. The museum at Warm Springs opened its door to the public on March 14, 1993. Donald Statsny of Statsny and Burke Architects recounts the possible reason their firm was picked for the museum plans. Our relationship to the Warm Springs people goes back to a Boy Scout tambourine that was held in Valley Forge in 1957, and uh, the Oregon Scouts, I was, I was from a small town in southern Oregon down by Climate Falls, but the Oregon Scouts chartered a train, and they went from Portland to Philadelphia and back again as part of the Jamboree activities. And we stopped at the Dalles, and we picked up the Warren Springs troop. And so they had traveled with us all the way out, all the way back, and they brought their regalia. And as we went across the country, we would stop at a city or town, and the boys would put on a regalia dance, and they taught me how to dance. So when I came back, I made my own regalia, and I, I danced for a little bit before the body kind of gave out on me. So I go back to 1957, when I was first involved with the troops. And Dr. Irving Shepard, some of you have been around long enough to know, was principal of the school. He was also a scoutmaster. And Dr. Shepard traveled with us at the time. When it came time to pick the architect for the museum, and I have to say, you don't do something like this by yourself. 
partner Brian Berg, and I had uh, a number of staff people who worked with me and put it together. When we were interviewed for the job, we did the usual things that architects do. We get up and say, we can do great things, we can do this and that and, and whatever else. But we had a slideshow, of course, which every architect had a good slideshow going. The last slide we showed was me dancing my regalia. <laughs> got the job. The board at that time was made up of Chief Delvis Keith, uh, Delbert Frank, uh, Governor Vic Atita, uh, Janice Clemens, and some others that were part of the, of the organization here at that time. They basically entrusted us with trying to understand what the museum was and what it could be. Now, at the same time when this was coming together, they were working on the Museum of American Indian at, in Washington, D.C. on the mall, as well as the collection facility in Suitland, Maryland. And the head of the National Museum at that time had this idea about the Ford Museum. There was one in New York City that was in an old classical building. There was the one that was going to be on the mall and then the Suitland facility. So those three, and then the Ford Museum was to be a series of tribal museums throughout the, the nation. And these tribal museums would all be built to Smithsonian standard as far as taking care of collections and those kinds of things. So as we designed the museum, we actually met with the Smithsonian folks and went made sure that everything that was put into this museum applied with the standards of the Smithsonian. The idea being that if we had a number of these tribal museums around the nation, that anyone could make an exhibit and it could be shipped to another museum. Unfortunately, I think this is the only one of the fourth museums that was actually built. Now, since then, there have been others built, but I'm not sure that they were to the Smithsonian standard. So this museum out here in Warren Springs, Oregon, in Central Oregon, still is looked at by the Smithsonian as one of the gems of its crown, and is one of the few that really complies with what their standards are. Museum architect Donald Statsney a look back at the planning and design involved in the creation of the museum at Worm Springs with architects Donald Statsny and Ann Marshall. Thanks for listening to the Worm Springs program on 91.9 FM KWSO.